Hey, good morning, church. Um, whether Essex or North Avenue, watching at home, good morning. But actually, for me, it's good evening. I'm actually recording this in the evening. I found out that I had to be away for the weekend, and I really wanted to finish our series on the church. And so thanks to all that we learned during COVID, I called Cam Bushy, our video tech guy, and said, hey, can you set me up and do this recording? So it's actually evening for me, but good morning to you. And so I'm not live on any campus, uh, coming by video to all of you this morning. And I wanted to, I wanted to do this, of course, because as I said, I would really like to finish up our series Today in the church. So here we are, our last day. Now, we have been talking about the church. We've been talking about how it started, how it survived, how it went from survival and how it actually thrived, where its power comes from, and is it relevant to today? So we've been talking about all of those things. Now, I want you to listen to the words um, of this author and see if they resonate at all with some of the things that perhaps that you might, you might face. Listen to these, listen to these, uh, these words. Roll out of bed, Mr. Coffee's dead, the morning's looking bright, and your shrink ran off to Europe and didn't even write, and your husband wants to be a girl. Don't you want to go somewhere? And then it says, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to just get away? All those nights when you've got no lights, the check is in the mail, and your little angel hung the cat up by its tail, and your third fiancé didn't show, wouldn't you just like to get away? Now, don't anyone say anything out loud. Don't raise your hands. But my question is, how many people recognize some of those words, if not all of them? Because they're actually the lyrics to a song. So just listen to this, and maybe when you hear the song, uh, the lyrics will click. Because admittedly, I read them out of order, so it wouldn't sound the same. But listen to this, see if you recognize it. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. recognize it. That's the theme song from a 1980s, early you know, 80s, early 90s TV show named Cheers. It was a sitcom. It was the set for it was in Boston. It was kind of set. Uh, a backdrop is in Boston. And it was one of the most popular, one of the most watched, one of the most followed and one of the most award winning TV shows, not only in its time, but in history. And yes, if you know the story of the show, its whole setting was a bar. It was all about a bar named Cheers, but the real story isn't about a bar. It's not about drinking. It's not about hanging out in a particular place. The real story for Cheers all along was about the fact that people were looking for community. 
That's the storyline. They were looking for a community. Now that song, that theme song from Cheers, I actually took that song and I used it in some ads that we had made that I played on radio stations in the area uh, back in the early 90s. And that whole theme song, because it just resonates if you think about it. People want to go where everyone knows their name. Now there is no place like that that really exists where everyone knows your name, but you do want to go someplace where you know your troubles are all the same. So it had that, that it just resonated with me. So I used that for some ads. And wouldn't you know when I did that, I had church people that were upset. In fact, some left the church because I was using a song that was tied into a show that was all about a bar. Now, I thought, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just this group of people. I was doing a seminar at a thing called Congress down in Boston. Some of you might recall the days Congress was this gathering that was always held, I think it was in February, but January, February, in Boston, thousands of people, and it was all about the church. And I was asked to do a workshop about growing the church. So I went and I played this, these same words, I played that same theme song to this group, and I had a whole room that was just in turmoil and an uproar because some of those folks were so upset that I was using a secular song and a song about a bar to promote the church. But you need to hear this, but at the core uh, of what's going on in people's lives, at the core of what I was trying to get at, had nothing to do with a song about a bar. The core issue really is, if you think about it, is really a person's view of the church. The issue of whether we could use it or not use it really had to do with how people viewed the church. It had to do how they viewed the church and, and what, their purpose, what, the, what they saw the purpose of the church was and why did it exist. There's a guy named Win Arn. Win Arn uh, is recognized as one of the leaders in church growth of all church history. I think he's 99 years old now. I think he's still alive. But he was so well-known and so well-respected for all of the work and study that he did in the 80s and all through the 90s and he actually, actually into the beginning of 2000, uh, everything he did about church growth. Now, catch this. He did a survey. He surveyed the members of over 1,000 churches, and he asked them to answer a, a simple, basic question. And that question was, why does the church exist? All he did is ask the question. All he did is listen. All he did is write down their answers. And then he grouped them together and came up with these results. Of the members of those churches that he surveyed, 89% of them said that the church's purpose by function is to take care of my family and my needs. Nearly 90% of the people in over a thousand churches all said the same thing. The purpose of the church, the church exists to take care of my family and my needs. Now, for, you know, for many, the role of the pastor that they now saw, they saw the role of the pastor was simply to keep the sheep that are already in the pen, keep the sheep happy, keep them content and take care of them. Nothing wrong with that um, in and of itself, but it can be problematic. Only 11% of all of those people that were surveyed in a thousand churches, only 11% saw that the purpose of the church was to go out and win people for Jesus. Now, what's interesting, Winar then went back and he decided to go back and to actually survey all of the pastors in all of those churches. And he asked them the exact same question, why does the church exist? 
Amazingly, I mean, just incredible, the results were the exact opposite. I mean, exact opposite. 90% of all of the pastors of those churches said that the purpose of the church was to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus, to go win the world for Jesus. 90% of the pastors said that. Only 10% of the pastors would say that the church existed to take care of the sheep, to take care of their members. Friends, it's no wonder that we as churches today struggle, and why churches today are in conflict, why they battle, why there's confusion, why they're in disagreement, and more specifically, it's no surprise why churches are in decline. But I want you to know, as we've been studying, that is not, that, that is not the way that it was in the first century church. Listen to this from Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. Catch this. All of the believers were united in heart and in mind. And then if you keep going, as we've been doing in Acts, you find that they, they knew why they existed. The early church knew why they existed and they were unified on why they existed. They were unified in their purpose and they went out and they got it done. You see, Jesus had enlisted his followers not to be, not to have, I should say, a life of leisure, but he enlisted them to live out lives of service. Catch that. Jesus didn't enlist those early followers to come and have lives of leisure and luxury. He enlisted them so that they would live lives of service. Now, we've talked about the early church startup. We talked about the church going from 103,000 and 5,010 and upwards of 20,000 just in Jerusalem. And while it's growing in Jerusalem, remember the Apostle Paul is out there preaching on his missionary trips. And so we've now have hundreds of other churches of other preaching points where little ecclesias, little churches are popping up all across the Mediterranean seaboard. And some of the Jews decided to follow Jesus. They did, but many of them didn't. But the Gentiles really received the message. A bunch of Gentiles jumped in, and, but they weren't Jews. They didn't have any religious background. And you might recall that about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, while the Apostle Paul was out there preaching, the issue comes up, and we talked about this. An issue comes up that would be a very key moment where there's got to be a decision made if the church was going to be about the insiders or the outsiders. If the church was going to determine then um, the, the specific rules for being in the church or whether it was going to be more open so that people could freely come and respond to the message of Jesus Christ. The question was big enough, you may recall, that it brought together a, a group together called the Council of Jerusalem. The Council of Jerusalem came together to make a decision. Which way would the church go? And you might remember at that meeting, James, the brother of Jesus, he heard everyone make their case to make their arguments. And then after hearing everyone's stories and their opinions, James stood up and here's what he said. This is just the first statement he started with. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Basically, what he was saying is this. We have to be thinking about those who are not here yet. And we have to make that the priority over those who are already here. And when he made that decision, it was a critical moment or make that statement, critical moment. And then we see the church explodes and grows. The Roman Empire actually became a Christian empire. But you know what? Empires come and go. 
Empires thrive and then they die. The Roman Empire, with all of its power, with all of its might, the Roman Empire disappeared. But the church remained. And not only did it remain, but it continued to grow. People kept telling the story and they kept growing. And time went on, as you remember, your history classes, the church continued to grow, but there was a moment in church history that was the, 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 considered to be the dark ages. It was, a, it was a bad, bad time in the life of the church. In those middle ages, the church went in a bad direction. Horrible things were done during those days in the name of Jesus. The crusades were launched. I mean, thousands upon thousands of people were killed, were murdered in the name of Jesus in countless battles during the Crusades. The Spanish Inquisition took place in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and even darker times came along. Bad, bad theology even went deeper to a perversion of the Bible. There was a time where within the church, the church taught that if you were wealthy enough, if you had enough money, you could use that money. You could go sin all you want and you could use your money to go buy something called an indulgence. Basically, you could sin, but if you had enough money, you could go buy literally a paper indulgence, which was basically your get out of hell free card. It basically, you were buying your forgiveness of sins. It was your automatic guarantee into heaven if you had enough money to buy the indulgences. Friends, those were very, very dark days. And if you look in the history of the church, you find that there are these dark, dark days and sometimes generations, you know, over hundreds of years, where we find the church is in a bad spot and not doing well. But I want to remind you, in spite of all of those dark moments, there has always been a group of people who get it. A group of people who understand the mission of the church, a group of people who understand what the church is called to do, a group of people who understand that the church is a movement, it's not a building. It's not a hierarchy. It's not a bunch of rules, but it's a movement. It's the called out ones of Jesus Christ. The church is more than a building. And it's not about worship styles. It's not about curriculums. It's not about preaching styles. When they, the church was growing, they understood it was a simple message that, Jesus, that, that transformed Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. A simple message, message that Jesus came. He died for our sins. He went, to the, he went to the cross for us. He went into the tomb for us. He was dead for three days. He came back to life. He rose again. And hundreds of people saw him alive. It was a simple message. Jesus Christ came for your sins. And that story, and that story alone, transformed people's lives. Now think about this. Since those early days in, in the past 2,000 years, countless hospitals have been built in the name of Jesus. Millions upon millions of people have been fed and cared for in the name of Jesus. Millions of people have been housed and have been clothed in the name of Jesus. Millions of, of orphaned children have been educated and have been fed and cared for and have been loved in the name of Jesus Christ. Slavery was done away with in Europe, in England, I should say, in the name of Jesus. What happened in England gave way to the abolition movement here in this country that eventually ended slavery. And if you go and look at history, you will find that in the history of, of the getting rid of this terrible blight of, of slavery in our country, if you look at some of the key people that were behind that movement to, to, to put an end to it, you will find people that didn't pervert the Bible, but people, solid believers who took God's word, understood it, and used the teachings of Christ to bring an end to slavery. On top of all of that, missionaries 
have gone all around the world to every corner of the earth to tell the story of Jesus, which is why today, why we meet on this weekend around the world, millions upon millions of believers gather together to worship Jesus Christ. Today, this movement continues. It continues to move. The church continues to move forward in spite of the fact that so many churches have become insider-focused, insider-oriented. In every generation, there has been a group of people that embrace God's purpose for the church, that have gotten in, gotten their hands dirty, have jumped in to, to, to make it work, have jumped in to serve and to give and to love people. And then what's happened is there's always been people that understood the purpose of the church and then would pass it on and pass it off to the next generation. And that brings us to today. Our final message in our series, it brings us to this moment today. Now, researchers and psychologists, scientists, doctors, they tell us that as a result of COVID-19, the country, actually the world, but the country and the, the, the people, I should say, of our culture are living in a state of languishing. Uh, there's all sorts of articles out there that the, that the culture in today, the people's world today, we are living in a state of languishing. It means that people are feeling like something's not right. A sense of stagnation, a sense of emptiness. It's not burnout. There's plenty of energy. It's not depression. They're not feeling hopeless, but they have this feeling like they're muddling through their days, like they're looking through a foggy, a foggy windshield or looking through dirty glasses. Now, listen, that might be true. And I think it is true out in the world, but we can't afford to have that be true in the church. We can't afford in the life of the church to have the spirit of languishing taking place. That idea of no energy, that idea of lifelessness, that idea of no hope, that idea of sitting here and like looking through a, a dirty, muddy windshield. Can't have that in the church. COVID has been one of the great restarts of the church around the world if believers will leave the languishing and get into the game. If there's ever a time and ever an opportunity and an opportune time for the church to get into the game, this is our time. Remember, if you would, that shortly after the day of Pentecost, Peter and John were preaching. You might recall this part of the story. They were preaching. They got in trouble for it. They were, they were arrested. They were brought to the, to the religious leaders. Um, and while they are threatened, they basically, they weren't harmed yet, but while there, they were threatened and they were told they are to stop preaching the story of Jesus, stop even using his name. And they didn't know what to do with them then because they were afraid of the following they had. But the religious, religious leader said this then, listen, no more preaching, no more even talking about this person. And if you don't stop, they gave them the or else, if you don't stop, you will be punished. And the threat was actually the threat of their lives, the threat that they would be killed, the threat that they would be beaten, the threat that, that they would be taken custody and they would make life miserable for them. So the threat was, you stop this or else. They were released. They went back to the small group of them that were meeting together and they told everyone what had happened and they told them about the threat that either we stop or we're going to be beaten. Either we stop or we're going to be killed. And remember that the people went to pray about it and they didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray for uh, the political leaders, for a, a shift in the political leaders, for a new election to come and change hands. They didn't pray for that. They didn't pray for a God to take out the leaders. None of that. This is what they prayed for. And it's in Acts chapter four. Listen to this. 
When they heard the report, I mean the report from Peter and John, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with absolute boldness. They prayed for boldness and then they went out and they acted with boldness. Today, as we wrap up our series, I'd like you to think about all that we've talked about in these past weeks together. Maybe go back and even re-watch them or re-listen to them. But specifically, I'd like you to think about what we've talked about and make the decision to start acting boldly. Start acting boldly. In fact, today, I want to challenge you to be bold in four areas. And so it's a little different message. I'm not going to look at any more texts as, uh, per se, but I want to challenge you now to look at four areas where I need you to be bold, where we need boldness in our lives. Let me give you the first one. I need you to be bold in your invitations. I need you to be bold in your invitations. Do you know what I mean by that? It means that there are people around you that you should be inviting to church. There are people around you that you work with, that you watch, you see, your neighbors, any, all those people, people that are around you that you know, I should be inviting them to church. I should, invite, I should have invited them to the summer jam that just happened. I should have invited them to the block party down at North Ave. I should, have invi I should invite them to the corn roast. I should invite them to the church for one of our series. But for some reason, you won't invite them. Yeah, 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 I should, but uh, for some reason, I just can't. I, I shouldn't invite them, but for some reason, it just never happens. It's time to ramp up your boldness. It's, it's time to get in the game, and it's time to be bold in your invitations. Let me tell you why. There's two reasons. One of the reasons is really obvious. One of the key reasons why we need to be inviting people is incredibly obvious. The other one you'll get completely, but it's not quite as obvious. So the first reason why we need to be bold in our invitations is quite simple, because we want people to meet Jesus. Because a life with Jesus Christ is not just the guarantee of, of eternal life like we've talked about, but it's the better life. A life with Jesus is a better life. It's a richer life. It's a fuller life. It's a more joyful life. It's a forgiven life. It's a life full of peace. In a life in a life that has met Jesus head on, that life has radically changed for the better. Now, see, that's the obvious piece. We want you to invite more because people need to know Jesus. But let me tell you a not so obvious piece. The second reason why it's so necessary for us to be inviting people, so practical and so necessary, is this. Because that's the only way, by you inviting other people and getting involved in their lives, that's the only way that you will see the church through the eyes and through the ears of a person who doesn't go to church. If you're in church... And this is your home church. North Avenue is your home church. That's your regular place. And you're there all the time or maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church, but you've come to Christ. And in the many years after that, all of your life is around the church. You forget what it's like to see the church or to hear the message through the eyes of that person who's never been to church, who's hearing the message for the very first time. For years, we had a woman in the church uh, she had grown up in, in a church. She had all sorts of church background. She was a Christian her whole life. And, and I don't want to say that she was the mother of negativity, 
but she certainly wasn't the mother of positivity. I mean, it seemed like she was unhappy or had something to say with just about everything that we did. She did not like, she was unhappy in my preaching style. She was unhappy with most of the sermons. They weren't heresy. She wouldn't leave over it, but was unhappy with the sermons. She didn't like our music. She couldn't believe that I would wear jeans and occasionally a dark shirt or a black shirt. You name it. And she was not happy about it. And every time we talked about reaching out, every time we talked about living beyond ourselves, sooner or later, the question would come from her about something about this. Well, what about us? Well, what are we going to do about us, the ones who are here every week? And I, and I completely understand that we need to be fed and cared for and ministered to and all of those things. But every time we talked about outreach, going out, the question came up, well, what about us? And then it changed. In one service, one particular Sunday, she saw a woman from her workplace, a woman who worked with her in church. That woman came to church, had never been in church before, not this church, not any church. Someone else had invited her, not this woman from our church. Someone else had invited her. But this woman I'm talking to saw her and went up and talked to her after the service and said, hey, you know, you're here, what are you doing here? The other woman who was visiting said, I didn't, I didn't know you went to church. Ouch. And I didn't know you went to this church. And so this woman from our church said this, said, well, what did you think? And immediately this brand new visitor said, I've never had anything like it. She said, I've never been to church before. But when the music started, and I didn't even know any of the music, but when the music started and people started to sing, I, I couldn't stop crying. The man who spoke, it seems like he, he, knew, he knew me. When he spoke, it seems like he's been into my head that he knows some of the things that I think about. He knows the questions I've had. And then she added this. And you know what? He got up to speak and he had no robes on. He wasn't wearing a robe. He didn't come across as holier or better than me. You know, he actually wore jeans. Score one, score one for the jeans. The mother of negativity radically changed. Because probably for the first time, she began to see and hear the church, hear and see the story of Jesus through the eyes and the ears of someone who was just starting for the first time, just walking in with a whole bunch of needs that we couldn't see. But all of a sudden, she got it. If you quit inviting, we become a church where we talk a good game, we talk all about outreach. We talk all about reaching people. But the reality is we go through a slow death and we become a church for the insiders. To do that, of course, to invite people, you're going to have to build relationships. So I need you to be bold in your invitations and I need you to be bold in your building of relationships with other people. You know, the bottom line is for some of us, and I have to work at this all the time as a pastor, some of us are so insulated in our church world and our church friends and all the things that we do are so church related. We are so insulated. Some of us don't even know someone to be able to say, let me tell you the story of Jesus. Now, listen carefully. Let me give you some practical things with this idea of inviting more. In four weeks, we have our annual cornrows coming. First of all, are you coming? Number two, who are you inviting to come with you? Are you going to attend the event and who are you inviting? Some of you will say, well, I don't even go to the event. And I say to you, what a missed opportunity. 
Corn roast is coming. North Avenue family, please hear this. The corn roast is not an Essex Alliance event as in the Essex event. It's our event. It's North Avenue's event. It's the Essex event. It's our campus's event. It's all of us. It's our church's event. So who are you bringing? Come yourself, be there, and who are you bringing with you? Be bold in your invitations. That's the first thing. Second thing I want to challenge you to do, I need you to be bold in your volunteering. I need you to be bold in your volunteering. Many of you are volunteering. Some of you for years you have volunteered. And so sincerely, I say to you, thank you. My kids know Jesus better because of some of you have been serving that long. You were serving in the church when we came. You were serving in the church when my kids were growing up. And my kids know Jesus better and have a better perspective of what it means to follow Jesus because of some of you volunteers. And I say to you, thank you. Now, my grandchildren are having that same experience. And again, I say to you, thank you. My neighbor came in and remarked on the fact that they got a cup of coffee. I want to say thank you to the people that get up on Sunday morning and get here early and brew coffee. Because I had a neighbor come and couldn't believe that there was free coffee every Sunday morning. So to all of you who volunteer very, very sincerely, you make this church a better place. And I say thank you for that. But if you're not volunteering anywhere, let me give you a couple of things. First of all, if you're not a volunteer, if you are a volunteer, start there. If you are a volunteer, I want you to go to a fellow volunteer I want you to hug them. I want you to look at them, a fellow volunteer, whether it's in your ministry or some other ministry. You volunteer, you know they volunteer. I want you to hug them. I want you to look at them and say that to, we make the church a better place together. Thank you for serving. Just look right at them and thank you. Even though you're a volunteer too, thank you for being part of the team. I want you to say that to them. Now, if you are not a volunteer, you don't volunteer anywhere in the church, I want you to find a volunteer, I want you to hug them, and I want you to say this, you volunteer in the church, and I just want to thank you for it, and you'll probably die serving because I won't serve anywhere, so you've got to do it all. Just kidding, don't do that, don't mean it, but I do want to challenge you. Listen, there's a bunch of folks that call this church their home who are sitting on the sidelines. You've got your routines down pat. You've got your pattern. You know how, how you, what you like to do. You like to float in and have other, pe other people serve you or at least serve other people around you. But you got your pattern down. I want to say to you, it's time to get in the game. I need you to volunteer. I need you to jump in. If you're newer to the church and you're trying to find a way to connect, find a place to serve. Throw your name in, start serving. And if you want to connect, watch how quickly and closely you get close to people when you serve together. If you've been sitting on the sidelines, I need you to get off of the sidelines and get in the volunteer game. Be bold in your volunteering. Consider volunteering in places where you've never been before. Kind of sounds like Star Trek. You know, we're going to go to galaxies and places where you've never been before. Be bold and willing to volunteer in ways and in places that you've never volunteered before. Now, listen, I need you to relax. If, you, if you're willing to volunteer, it's not like we're going to take you, throw you into a classroom full of little children, lock the door and say, we'll be, we'll be back in an hour. I hope you do all right. We wouldn't do that. Well, the key reason we wouldn't is we love our kids too much to do that to them. And we won't do it to you. So be bold. Uh, and when I say that, to be bold in volunteering, quite honestly, friends, hear me out here. It's not like you're in China and you're about to give up your life for the cause of Christ. 
It's not like being in North Korea where they find out that you're a believer, you're going to die. We're talking about serving in the body of Christ. Be bold in your serving. Let me give you a third area. I need you. We need you to be bold in your generosity. We need you to be bold in your giving. Some of you walk in, you look around the buildings and you kind of say, man, things look pretty good here. Things look pretty nice. I don't think they need my money. Now, first of all, that's just an excuse. You know it and I know it. But let's just say you do feel that way. Let's just say it's not really an excuse. You just look around, you say, hey, I don't think they need my money. Then if you feel that way, you really don't understand giving. You see, giving is not based upon you walking in and saying, oh, I see this need. I should give to it. That is not the basis, basis, the, the, uh, uh, the basis for giving. You see, God doesn't want you to give for his benefit. God does not want you to give because he needs it. God wants you to give because you need to give. He doesn't want you to give for his benefit. He wants you to give for your benefit. Now, be sure you hear this. If every, if everyone in the church, if every household that called Essex Alliance Church their home, they called Essex, Essex campus, if they called North Avenue campus their home, if every household who called the church their home, if every one of those households would practice the biblical principle of tithing, and you know, the biblical principle of tithing is 10%, 10% of your income. If everyone who called the church their home practiced the biblical principle of tithing, there'd be two things that would happen. First, the church would never be in need. The church would never be in financial need. I mean, we would minister, we would meet needs, we would pay bills, we would send out missionaries, we would start ministries, we would be able to take care of the benevolent needs of the church, we could pay our staff. I mean, we do all of that with ease. If everyone said, you know what, I'm going to do what the Bible says, 10%, here I go. Second thing that would happen that I think many people miss is that if every person who participated in the church did that, do you realize the second thing that would happen is every single person who did it, every household who participated, their lives would be radically changed. And I mean that so sincerely. Their anxiety about money, it would go down and probably go away. Their needs would be met. They'd sleep better at night. All because they would experience the blessing of God that he pours out on the lives of his people when they faithfully give to God. See, God knows that we struggle with giving. God has given to us everything that we have, and he understands that one of the real marks of where your heart is, is when you can turn around and say, say to God, God, you gave me all of this. I'm going to give a portion of it right back to you. You do with it as you will. We talked last week about one of the marks of the New Testament church is they didn't try to control their, their giving. Um, be bold in your giving. Uh, I want to I give you a challenge. Here's my challenge. To experience this blessing I'm talking about, here's my challenge. If you're already tithing, thank you. God bless you. If you're a percentage giver, some people say, well, I give 2% or 3%, whatever it might be, I'm going to challenge you to be bold. I'm going to challenge you to go up by a half a percent in your giving or 1% every month until you hit 10%. And if you're really bold, go to 11%. So you can say to God, hey, listen, I'm not, not, just not meeting the 10%. I'm actually really generous. I want to challenge you in the next nine, 10 months, whatever it might be, go up a half a percent, go up 1% a month, whatever it might be, until you hit that point of 10%. And then watch what happens in your life. Be bold, just do it. And then see what God does. Now, honestly, if you're here 
and you call this church your home. I mean, this is your place. This is the this is the church. This is your church home. Um, you you love what's taking place. You worship here. Your kids are a part of things. Whatever that might be, and you've got a, a decent job, a decent income, and you're throwing twenty or fifty bucks in the basket every once in a while. I go really. I mean, is this really your church family? Is this really the place where you say, oh, this is my home? Do you really understand what Jesus Christ has done for you and the outpouring of his love in your life? I mean, we applaud when we're at a baptismal service and we see these people following Jesus. And then for so many people, they just randomly give God a 20 or $50 tip along the way as if to say, hey, the service was good. Come on, be bold, be bold and experience God's blessing. And I want to say this to some of you. Through the years, in this past year, past couple of years, some of you will stumble into some money, whether you sold a piece of property like Barnabas did in, uh, in Acts chapter 4, whether an inheritance and uh, someone died in your family and you got a chunk of money. So many of you, when you have those, mo- those windfall moments, you have actually, and many of you wouldn't know that this happens, but many of you have said to the church, I want to give a portion of that to the church. Uh, some of you have had an inheritance and have said, I, I want to give the church 10% of that inheritance. I want to bless the church with this gift. And you know, one, that you have been blessed. But I also want to say, if that's you, and along the way you have these moments where you've been able to give a special gift, you need to know the impact of that is so huge. So many people are ministered to. So many lives are changed that you can't even begin to imagine. So many times we have been in a critical place financially where we've looked at the numbers and said, boy, what are we going to do? What are we going to do next? How do we navigate this? And one of you faithful folks will come along with a gift, a special gift at a special moment. And I want to say thank you for that. And it's making a difference. Be bold in your giving and be bold in your generosity. Let me give you a last one. Last one. Fourth thing. I need you to be bold in your prayers. We as a church need one another to be bold in your prayers. And let me tell you how to pray. Let me tell you what it means to, to, to pray bold prayers. Now, if you want to continue with your prayers where you say, oh Lord, you know, give us safe travels, help us to have a nice vacation. You know, oh Lord, please give me an A in the exam coming up. Uh, Lord, uh, help me have a nice day today. And I prefer no rain. I mean, I know the, I know the farmers need rain, but truthfully, I prefer no rain. You can pray those things, but don't expect the church to be very powerful and don't expect your story of Jesus to be very compelling when your prayer life is basically that mundane. Now, you can bring those to God, and I encourage you. He cares about every one of those things in your life. But I really want to challenge you to be bold in your prayers. Let me give you some examples. You want to be bold? Think of someone who you would love to see come to Jesus someone who you would love to see them meet Jesus. You would love to see them come to church. But in your mind, you've said, man, never. What I, I would challenge you to make, to make this decision every single day to pray for them. Pray, pray for him, pray for her every single day that God would soften their heart, that he would allow you to build that relationship, that they would somehow see how relevant the Bible can be. Every day you pray for that person where you're sure it would never work. Or how about this? Lord, I'm going to increase my giving. I'll I'll take a bold prayer. God, I'm going to increase my giving and I'm going to start right now. Lord, you help me write the check. A lot of us would need help. God's help writing the check. 
because it's not an easy thing to do. Lord, you help me pick a number. You want to be bold? Pick a number to start giving that you just can't even imagine, that blows your mind. And then watch what God does. How about this one? Lord, I need to serve. Lord, I'm going to make a prayer to you. I need to serve. I can't just sit here and watch any longer. Lord, help me serve. Help me do it right now. Don't, don't, don't let me put it off again. Let me go. Let me go online. Let me go speak to someone. I need to serve. I need to experience that blessing that comes from serving. Lord, help me do that right now. Or how about this one? Lord, I know that particular person. I know the name that someone who has hurt me. And I know I need to forgive them. But I just won't. Lord, today's the day. You help me forgive them. I want to do this. I want to get it done. Pray bold prayers and then see bold things happen. Let me wrap up. Let me close. Shortly after Jesus' resurrection, Saul, the apostle Paul, said yes to following Jesus. After he said yes, he took some time for training and some to learning. But after that, the Apostle Paul went and told the story of Jesus and preached the story of Jesus for 32 years. The greatest missionary that had, was, has ever been known, he preached like no one else for 32 years. The last two years of his life, he was a prisoner. But during the time in prison, he wrote letters. And the letters that he wrote are now books of the Bible that we study. Um, he, he, he preached and he witnessed everyone that, that would come to see him. Though in prison, he was allowed visitors and he would actually invite people in. People he didn't know, he sent for them to have them brought in. He'd know of them, their, their stature, the, the place they served in the government. He asked them to come and they'd come for the purpose of him being able to preach. He did that for two years. One day, Nero had the Apostle Paul executed for one reason, for his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Nero thought that by killing Paul, he was going to silence Paul. He would kill the movement. Now, the truth of it is, when they killed the Apostle Paul, they did actually silence his voice. But of course, his voice kept going on and on through all his letters. But they did actually silence his voice. But they could not stop the church. The Apostle Paul was gone, but the church remained the movement remained and the movement kept moving forward and the story kept being told. That story has been told for 2,000 years. It was told and then someone else would tell it and someone else would tell it to the next generation, to the next generation, into the next generation. In fact, someone told you the story of Jesus. And we could go to that person and start going backward and we would be able to go back in time and trace it all the way back to the beginning of the church. If we could see that where someone told the story to this person and then to another and then to another and then eventually somebody told you the story of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you said yes and here you are. Or maybe someone told you the story of Jesus, you haven't said yes yet, but here you are. And now I simply say to us as a church, now it's our turn. Now we are next in line. We are now a part of the story of the church. We're a part of this time and place, of this culture. We're, we're, we're in this part of the timeline. Now it's our turn to be telling the story to the next generation and to the people around us. The church is more than a building. Let's be the church together. Let me close with prayer. Please stand and we'll pray. Father, I thank you that you had this great idea called the church. 
we so misunderstand it. We keep thinking it's about a building or it's about a place or it's about hierarchy and people who are in charge, but it's not. It's about the called out ones. It's about these people that are your followers. It's about us as your followers. And we gathered together. We're the gathering of your, of, of your followers, the body of Christ. And you have commissioned the church as your means for telling the story to the world. And your plan is a good plan. Your plan has worked effectively. Your plan has been working for thousands of years and people have been hearing the story and coming to Jesus. And now it's our turn and I pray that we would not blow our moment. I pray that you would find in this church people that would be bold, bold in their invitations, bold in their giving, bold in their volunteering, bold in their praying. I pray that you would see a church here that is energized because the story of Jesus works. Your story changes lives. Your story has changed my life and it's going to change the lives of others as they hear and learn the story. I thank you for every person who calls this their church home. I pray that you will raise up leaders. I pray that you will raise up prayers, raise up volunteers, raise up givers. Lord Jesus, the church has got a moment in time, this moment in time, where we can make a difference in the world and in the people's lives that are all around us. May we rise to this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Living